If you have a Bible, uh, Matthew 5 is where we're at, no surprise. If you don't have a Bible or you have a smartphone, um, we have our outline on the Bible app, which is pretty cool. You can open the Bible app, which has been downloaded hundreds of millions of times, I think. And at the bottom right hand of the screen, you can click on more, go to events, and it knows that you're here, and it'll bring up um, basically my sermon outline. You can take notes there, save it. It's really cool. I continue to hear great feedback from people every week that are using it. It's amazing what technology can do for free. It's pretty awesome. Um, we are six weeks into the Beatitudes, so we've got a couple more after this. Beatitudes, um, if you're joining us, is kind of how Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever told, and he doesn't pull any punches. It's pretty convicting, and um, it is considered the most well-known of Jesus' teaching, the least understood, and the least applied. And so it is worth, uh, honestly, digging into for the rest of your life, uh, because we will always be needing to progress in these um, areas. Um, I got a great illustration that will kind of frame what we're talking about today. Um, When light travels to Earth from other galaxies, it has to first enter the Earth's atmosphere. What happens is the Earth's atmosphere and the air we breathe blurs and distorts that light just a little bit and um, causes our telescopes to not have the most pristine um, picture of whatever star, galaxy, planet we're looking at. For decades, maybe a century or two, astronomers have longed to try to figure out how do we take a telescope and put it on the outside of that atmosphere so that we can see an unfiltered view of the universe. When in the 70s, technology got to where humanity could actually put a telescope outside the Earth's atmosphere. You know the name of this telescope, don't you? The Hubble, right? It's famous. They began developing the Hubble in 1970s, and it took two decades until they were able to launch it into the Earth's orbit in 1990. They sent the Hubble Space Telescope up and immediately there was a problem. If you YouTube, just YouTube Hubble Trouble, and you can see this. That's not a joke. They was actually called Hubble Trouble. So what happened was, when they were polishing the mirror of this telescope, they made an error one-fiftieth of like, I think um, a millimeter or something. It's tiny, and it caused blurry images. So all the images that first came from Hubble in 1990 were just blurry. Now think of the shock of two decades of, I mean, it's like a billion-dollar telescope, and it doesn't, it's like actually worse pictures. So I think it was for two years they developed a fix. It was actually cheaper to go and somehow fix the telescope than to bring it back down and do this. So this, this fix, or corrective lenses, basically a pair of glasses, the size of a school bus, they, two years later, deployed. And I think it took astronauts three days doing a spacewalk to fix the Hubble telescope. And then it worked. And, you know, since 1990, it's been producing images that 
we've never been able to see. And so the, that's, it's a great illustration for the sixth beatitude, which is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Translating that with the Hubble, it's hard to see the heavens when there's a problem with the lens. It's hard to see the heavens when there's a defect or dirt or a scratch on the lens or the mirror. And so uh, Jesus is talking to us today in those terms. Um, what I'd like to do, something different, um, usually uh, open the scriptures, and we've been reading all of them. Uh, and if you're following along in, in your Bible, Matthew 5 or on the app, you can do that. But what I want to do is before each beatitude, I want to um, contrast the beatitude of Jesus with the beatitude that we would say the world, our flesh, or the devil would say. Now, these are just statements of who's being blessed. So in the Beatitudes, Jesus is pulling back the curtain of the universe saying, this is who I'm blessing. And in our world and in our day, and even listening here, we all have ideas of who's actually blessed. We might look at um, famous people or actors who have millions and millions of dollars, and we think, oh, they're blessed. You know, we, regardless, we all have a philosophy of who's being blessed. Jesus' is pretty shocking. And so before each beatitude, I just want to read a statement of who the world, our flesh, and devil tend to say is blessed, and then we're going to contrast that with um, the truth Jesus reveals to us. The first is, the world says, blessed are the self-confident because they rule the world. Jesus says no. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See the dynamic contrast there. The world says blessed are positive thinkers because they don't need anyone's comfort. Jesus flips it and says no. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin is the context. For they will be comforted. The world says, blessed are the cocky and assertive because they will get what they want in this world. Jesus says, no, blessed are the meek or the humble. They will inherit the earth. The world and our flesh says, blessed are those who have everything they want for they are already satisfied. This is kind of the urge behind almost every commercial and our consumeristic appetite that really undergirds our economy. Jesus says, no, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The way of our world and even our flesh is blessed are those who are vengeful and take revenge because they will get respect. Jesus says, no, blessed are the merciful they will receive mercy. So we talked about last week. This week, our culture at large says, blessed are the impure pleasure seekers because they will see a good time. Jesus says, no. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see something better than a good time. They will see God. 
The world says, blessed are the violent, those who beat their opponents, because the victors are the ones who write the history books. Jesus says, no. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Lastly, everything in us says, blessed are the popular because everybody loves them. This is high school, right? (laughs) Jesus says, now blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These eight statements of blessing really run contrary to our preferences, our instinctual nature, what we might call the flesh. But as we look at them, we see they are true. Today is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's just break this down very easy. First, blessed are the pure. What does it mean to be pure? On a basic definition, clean. You you clean this table. Or free from pollution or contamination. That's an easy, that's blessed are the pure. Now, if you push this a little further and go beyond that, you get to uh, purity is unmixed. Think of that. That there's not another thing in there. And then if you really push it further, this is the the part that is kind of, um, it kind of surprised me. Because I thought I was reading, when I was studying, I thought maybe I got on the wrong page. It was like suddenly reading different. Um, But sincere. I've never really thought of purity in terms of sincerity. Blessed are the pure. Blessed are the sincere. It doesn't make sense. When you think about it, when we are insincere, there's a mixture. There's, There's, you know, I might, say yet something, but if my heart and my intentions are different, that's insincere. It's not 100, I am not giving you 100% of who I am, I'm giving you a mixed or impure version of who I am. We might also say uh, that this is, um, the word really is disintegration. When all of who we are lines up um, I'll show you this in a second, it makes sense. When what we uh, will, what we feel, what we say, what we think, what we do, when all that is 100% the same, we say you have integrity because all of who you are is integrated. You are integrated, you have integrity. When those are separate and say, your feelings are different than your actions or what you say. Like, I say I'm going to come help you move on Saturday, but my body doesn't show up. That's not being integrated. That's disintegrated, right? So, blessed are the pure. Blessed are those who are integrated. Blessed are those who are sincere. Blessed are those who are unmixed. Blessed are those who are 100%, who are clean, who are free. Pure, right? 
Now, I want to emphasize the gospel message here because sometimes we could mishear this and go, oh, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are perfect and pure, and that's how they see God. And that's not what his teaching is at all. The gospel is not about doing all the right things. The gospel is about done. Jesus says, it's finished. We call the crucifixion a finished work, not a 90% work, and then you get to finish it up. It's done, right? So really, the thrust of what Jesus is getting at here is saying, yes, Lord, I want you to create in me a clean heart so that I can see you. Just as we needed to send some astronauts to the Hubble with the size of a school bus to fix the, the problem in the mirror, that's what we long for. To Jesus, come bring the school bus. <laughs> bring, bring whatever it is to fix the lens so I can see you. That's, that's really the gospel message in this. Blessed are the pure. The next phrase is, blessed are the pure in heart. Right? So this is an inward purity, not an outward purity. This is not a purity intellectually. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in mind. Although, that's important. Loving the Lord with your mind is important. Having a mind renewed in the mind of Christ, having a mind that is um, led by the Holy Spirit is super important, right? But that's not what Jesus says is blessed. Blessed are the pure, not in their mind, but in their heart. We would um, emphasize that because the, the Jews rightly believed that the heart is the seat of everything in your life. It is the fountain that everything springs up from, right? The psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, right? And not palpitations, <laughs> right? We're not talking about the cardiovascular pump, this kind of unseen thing that we have, the heart. It's central to who we are. Jesus says, um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So this is why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, because it's a starting point for your mind, for your thoughts, actions, your, um, your, your speech, all that stuff. I'll show you a slide here that really helps make sense. I'm a visual learner, so I need things like this. This is from Dallas Willard. If you're not familiar with Willard, great hero, was a Christian who was a professor of philosophy at USC, has done so much great work in helping us understand spiritual disciplines, discipleship, just health in general. And uh, he is known for this slide. And the way he says is, us as persons, this is our ingredients, right? On the outside of us is our soul. Our soul is kind of what touches each other. You ever had coffee with somebody and you walk away feeling gross? It's because their sick soul interacted with your soul and you're feeling the contamination of someone who is unsettled. That, that's your soul going, what was that? Right? That's your soul talking, right? Then there's your body, obvious. Inside of that is your mind, but deeper, deeper, deeper is the heart. We would say heart, will, spirit, your agenda, the very center of who you are. When all of these things are aligned, 
right? We say you have integrity. When they're broken up and going in different directions, we'd say you're disintegrated, right? Blessed are the pure in your inner being. Ezekiel 36 has a great verse that you probably have heard. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is the work of Christ. This is Christ fixing the Hubble Space Telescope of our life. He's like, what you need is, is a new lens. I'm going to give it to you. I, to remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Wonderful verse. Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, what's the, what's the reward here? For they will see God. In other words, they'll know God. They'll have a relationship with God. They'll have fellowship with God. You know, um, if my wife is gone for a week, I, I, I miss seeing you. What I'm saying is not that I miss seeing you. You're beautiful. <laughs> but more than that, I miss the relationship. I miss the closeness. I miss the connection. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will have that connection. I'll get to, see, you even say, see you later, right? What we're talking about is, is that we've got fellowship, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Now, let me shift gears a little bit. Jesus, man, this is scary. Um, I first heard this from a guy named Alan Hirsch in like 2008, and man, it messed me up. And the statement he shared was the harshest words that ever came out of Jesus' mouth were for the religious. And I'm, my profession is kind of in religion, and that dawned on me, oh man, the harshest criticism that ever came out of Christ's mouth was not for the hooker or the robber who was crucified next to him, not for the tax collector or the woman caught in adultery. Where was the man? They didn't bring the man, by the way. It was for the self-righteous teacher of religion who had it wrong. And he had harsh words all the time for them. Here's one example, and I want you to see why he was so ticked off with them. Matthew 23, verse 25, I mean, catch the language. This is a call-out of all call-outs. Imagine if Jesus had Twitter, whoo, hashtag fair, and then rant for like four one of this would be it. He wouldn't have Twitter. He's holy. So, all right. <laughs> he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. Why? Why is he mad? For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee or you blind guide. The, the image there, the blind leading the blind. Like he, he, is, he is saying, you Pharisee who you pride yourselves on being a tour guide of religion, a tour guide of relationship with God, a tour guide of the scriptures, but you're blind. Imagine having a blind tour. is fascinating. Cuts deep. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate. That outside may also be clean. Again, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Again, exclamation point. 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And this is strong words that Jesus gives the people in charge. This isn't an isolated incident. It's this is throughout all the Gospels. He is. This is why they killed him, honestly. Statements like this. This is why we can't put up with this anymore. The, the, the Pharisees in particular had focused on a righteousness or a right relationship with God that was based outwardly. Instead of a righteousness that was based in the heart. Now, Jesus kind of complains and goes off and rebukes them a lot. And you might say he was angry with them. You might say, I don't know if Jesus can be easily angered, but if he could be easily angered and it be holy, this is he doesn't have a lot of grace for. And you got to ask, why of all the things that Jesus could get upset with, Why would he get so upset with this all the time? And I think it's because in the Old Testament, it could not be more obvious. Even in the story of David, you get the line, man looks at the outward appearance, but what does God look at? The heart. Like, Throughout all of it, we see this pattern of Moses has a stutter, but no, no, God sees something different. Gideon, all the, no, you don't need all those people. I, I know something different. It's, it's kind of like, oh, going into the, I'm going to use Rahab, the prostitute, because there's something in her that I can trust that I can't trust. Like, it's fascinating when you look at the Old Testament and how, how constant this theme is. That God tends to pick people that from the outside we don't pick. And if anybody should know this lesson that it is about what is inside that matters, you would think it'd be the experts, the tour guides of the Torah. They were blind to it. One example, Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who shall see God? It's right here. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Not he who has washed his hands in the right manner. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. There we start to see the idea of sincerity in here. Lifting up your soul to something that's not true. Swearing deceitfully, not being honest, not being pure, not being sincere, being double-minded, saying one thing, doing another thing. So here's a great question I just want to like pull the grenade on and lob at you. Do you lift your soul up to anything that is false? Now, here's the answer. The answer is yes. The only... The question is not whether you lift your soul up to something that is false. The answer is whether you're honest about it.
what are the things in your life, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit for the remainder of our time to maybe reveal to you as I'm talking those little bitty things that but there's not sincerity, there's not purity, there's not 100% wholeness there. What do you lift your soul up to? We tend to think we are an advanced society. I love technology. I love progress. As a kid, my favorite um, cartoon was not the Flintstones. It was the Jetsons, because I love the future. Loved the Back to the Future, because their portrayal, we'd be flying around in cars. So disappointed. We live in a pretty advanced society in the sense that we can see some incredible things. You can get in an airplane and go around the world in a matter of hours and see things that are incredible. We have TV reception that brings to our phones now in 4K things that we've never been able to see before in detail and clarity we've never been able to see before. We have the internet, which is turned like we could see almost in, in real time something that's happening in China. And we could see it with our eyes. That's fascinating, right? And despite these incredible advances in science and technology and health and in philosophy, after centuries of enlightenment, innovation, and advancement, the life of Jesus is still the only real bankable example of what it means to live perfectly and purely and with all sincerity. Jesus was so pure and perfect, the people who killed him acknowledged it and had to lie about it. Pilate even said, I find no fault in this man. Pilate's wife had a nightmare about this pure man that was going to be killed and tried to talk her husband out of doing it. And after 2,000 years of constant progress, still to this day, Jesus is considered the only one who's been able to live pure. I want to close with an example of the flesh, the, this defect in our soul, this defect that's in the lens of our life, if you will. The Bible's word for that is iniquity. That there's just a bent. There, there's this, we all have it. We all have some form of iniquity, some defect, some bent. And... Um, Often, in the New, especially in the New Testament, the language is, quote, the flesh, which is this, Paul says it, I, I, I am at war between the spirit and the flesh. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. There's this wrestling with this imperfect part of who we are in our heart. Now, in the ancient world, when an army would conquer another army, buckle up, God. Okay they would kill about half of the soldiers. 
they would take the other half as prisoners of war. And they would collect them all and take them into their territory. And they would imprison all the prisoners of war with one of the corpses. And they would force these prisoners of war to take the corpse, embrace the corpse, and then they would shackle the prisoner of war to the dead body. Now imagine if you'd gone to war with your best friend or your brother or sister, someone that you loved and knew, and they were killed in battle, and then now you're not only captured, but you are literally chained and shackled to their dead body that is flesh rotting. Imagine the psychological warfare that was happening in the ancient world in this okay? case. You don't need an imagination to know what would happen over time as that body decays and the flesh starts to rot and you're in close proximity. What happens to your flesh in your body? You begin to get contaminated and you die a very slow, painful, psychological, horror, horrific, physically horrific death. That was a tactic that armies used in the ancient world. And that's the way the New Testament talks about our flesh, that we are in bondage to this decay. Now here's the gospel message. Jesus comes in, and even, Paul even says, disarmed the rulers and authorities that did this. So he, number one, conquered the enemy army. Number two, he unlocks the prison door. And number three, he comes in and he unlocks the shackles that have us bound to the flesh. Now here's the deal. Sometimes we run into people who are set free in Christ. They're still doing this. Christ has conquered the enemy. Christ has unlocked the prison door. Christ has unlocked the shackles that keep them bound to this decaying flesh they can't get away from no matter how hard they try. And all that's done by Christ But sometimes we, for many reasons, don't know or can't or whatever, have to let the corpse go and walk out the door. A lot of our pastoral work is helping people realize where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You've been set free. Let go of the dead body. Let go of the addiction. Let go of the anger. Let go of the disappointment. Let go of the unforgiveness. It's finished on the cross. It's been purchased. There is legal freedom for you. Let go of the dead body. What is the dead body that you're holding on to this morning that is keeping your heart from seeing God? from having a relationship with God. There, there's a, you feel it. There's a block. There's a ceiling. There's, there's something in the way. And the disconnection is not 
that God is disconnected to you, that disconnected is that there's a dead body in the way that you're holding on to. And the invitation throughout all of the Gospels is to confess and repent, which is acknowledge the dead body and repent, drop it and walk the other way. And I'll encourage you to do that. This morning, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to invite you to close your eyes, and I want to read over you one of the greatest songs ever written on this subject from a man who did some horrible things, but he came to terms with what he had done and how sinful he was, and he did the hard thing. He was honest, and he let go of the corpse. The song goes like this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only, Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. It's a great prayer right here. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Father, we feel the heaviness of it. All of us have been born into this defect. And at varying degrees, Lord, we struggle with letting go and walking in and claiming the freedom that you have already secured on our behalf. 
but more than instructions, more than practical things to do. God, I ask that simply that you would give us the the real picture of you unlocking that door and breaking the shackles that keep us bound to sin. And help us to see the freedom that you offer. And God, for those of us who need a little help letting go of that corpse, God, help. We ask for you to help. Lord, I pray that you would bring freedom from shame, from condemnation, from all unholy forms of guilt. God, I ask you to bring freedom from fear. God, I pray you would bring freedom from addiction. Bring freedom from sexual immorality. Bring freedom from control and anger. God, bring freedom from greed and self-interest. God, deliver us all from pride and our arrogance towards you and our neighbor. God, deliver us from apathy. God, whatever it is, we ask that you would make today a watershed moment for us spiritually. And you would bring the fix, bring the deliverance. Make beauty from ashes. Those who are mourning, bring dancing. Where there is heaviness, bring a garment of praise. Friends, I encourage you to take a moment and give yourself to the Lord. Lift your heart to Him. Thank Him. Give Him praise. Thank Him for the freedom that He has purchased on your behalf. That He no longer calls you enemy, prisoner of war, slave, captive, prodigal, problem child. He calls you beloved.